0: Welcome to podcast episode 221. I'm Stuart McCullough, i the CEO of VHAA. And with me today is workplace relations consultant, Maddie White. Good morning, Maggie. Morning, Stuart. Uh, Maybe you've done this before, you know what the drill is. We're going to show a clue, and on the basis of that that clue, you're going to try and identify the subject for today's discussion. Here it comes up on screen now. Any idea from that? Not really. In retrospect, that's perhaps a little bit unfair. let's 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 do another clip. Did that help?
1: Still no idea.
0: Alrighty, let's try one more time and get a little bit of a bit more footage up on screen. All right, Maddie, I think three clues is probably enough. Based on that uh, clip, what would you say is the subject for today's discussion?
1: Clearly, music therapy.
0: Okay. Um, Maddie, you couldn't be more wrong. Uh, We are, in fact, talking about casual conversion. And for those people who are reading along with the clause uh, today, uh, we're looking at Clause 20 of the Nurses and Midwives Agreement, uh, which, handily enough, is entitled Casual Conversion. Uh, So the clause in the agreement... Uh, was not a new clause, it was an existing clause, but it has been amended. Uh, so the uh, the idea of casual conversion is not a new one.
1: That's right. It was introduced into the Nurses and Midwives Agreement and other agreements in 2016.
0: So i will make this point. I think casual conversion, it has a fantastically ecclesiastical uh, overtime. Uh, when we say casual conversion, Maddie, uh, what are we converting from and what are we converting to? pounds sterling to decimal, inches to the metric system, or is it about kicking a ball through some sticks on a rugby field?
1: As tempting as it is to say all of the above, we're actually talking about a conversion from casual to part-time or full-time employment.
0: So what's the purpose of a casual conversion term?
1: There's a shared interest in ensuring that employees are appropriately classified as either part or full-time or where the work is of a casual nature as a casual.
0: I think uh, just uh, what I'd add to that is people should think of this clause as a tool to use to mitigate against risk. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. So this is really about a mechanism to support uh, a transition uh, to the correct designation.
1: That's right. Sometimes a person is correctly and generally uh, engaged as a casual, but gradually and over time, the work becomes more regular and the employee may be more accurately classified as a full-time or part-time employee.
0: Maddie, I think I heard you say that this was a new term back in 2016, but my observation uh, would be that it wasn't really a source of controversy. Why amend it?
1: In a sense, the term in 2016 was ahead of its time. What's happened since is that casual conversion has become a feature of the Fair Work Act. So the changes there are directed at ensuring compliance with the Act.
0: Okay, so that's that's something of a tricky exercise in which we're taking an existing clause and trying to retrofit legislative changes.
1: That's right. It's about not taking away existing benefits whilst ensuring compliance with the Act.
0: Okay, well, let's get to the term itself. Uh, The first subclause is entitled employer office. Subclause A requires that an employer make an offer of casual conversion in certain circumstances. Let's get that term up on screen.
1: So, subclause uh, A states: subject to clause 20.2, and by the 27th of September 2021, in accordance with the NES, an employer must make an offer to a casual employee under this section. Uh, and then it goes on to say: the casual employee has worked shifts for the employer for a period of 12 months beginning the day uh, the employment started and during the last, at least the last six months of that period, the employee worked a regular pattern of hours on an ongoing basis, which without significant adjustment, the employee could continue to work as a full-time employee or part-time employee as the case may be.
0: All right, so let's unpack that a little bit. The first thing that jumps out for me is that reference to subject 20.2. And we'll come to that in just a moment. But then is that issue of the date, uh, 27 September 2021, in accordance with the mayors. So 27 September, obviously, that marks the anniversary of William the Conqueror, setting off from Normandy to seize England. Uh, Maddie, is the reference to 27 September and the clause a direct nod to imperialism, or does it refer to something else?
1: Something else. The date actually comes from the NES. Under the NES, there was a requirement on employers to make offers by that date.
0: So this refers to a process that's already happened, that's already complete?
1: That's right. There's no requirement uh, to repeat that process under the agreement.
0: So in practical terms, which part of the clause concerned the NES requirement to make an offer of conversion to certain employees by 27 September 2021.
1: Subclauses 1, 2, 3, and 4 of the term are NES terms.
0: So some NES terms were time specific?
1: Yes, and that time has already been and gone.
0: So does that mean that with respect to employer offers, the obligations at subclauses 1, 2, 3, and 4 are complete and no further action is required?
1: That's correct. Uh, just to make it clear, we'll bring that message up on screen.
0: Having said that, Maddie, whilst the process is behind us, employers should still have an eye to whether someone is correctly classified?
1: Yes. We would recommend that employers have uh, processes in place to consider whether an employee is appropriately classified.
0: In terms of misclassification, obviously this has been a, the subject of a lot of attention in the last couple of years. There are now some protections in the Act around double-dipping in the event that somebody who has been classified as casual is found to be full-time or part-time?
1: There are, but consider this. Uh, Victoria has wage theft legislation. If someone has wrongly been classified as a casual, could an employee claim that they had been deprived of entitlements?
0: Yes. Yeah, so those double-dip provisions at the, under the Fair Work Act aren't mirrored at the state level. So uh, misclassifying someone is not without risk.
1: Therefore, employers should have a documented process by which they review the employment status of their casual workforce and make offers to convert where, to convert where their work is not of a casual nature.
0: So the new obligation that's, um, uh, that's passed concerns an obligation on employers, but the clause also uh, provides for employee requests.
1: Starting at subclause 5, the first thing to note is whilst employees need a minimum period of service, this term is not time-specific and can be made at any time.
0: Alright, so you need a minimum amount of service, but uh, unlike the employer offer to convert, an employee request for casual conversion is not synchro- synchronised to the Norman invasion of England.
1: No, but whilst it's not state-specific, there are still some requirements.
0: So let's go through those requirements Maddy.
1: There are three things. Firstly, a minimum period of service.
0: Let's get that up on screen.
1: So it states that a casual employee may make a request of an employer under this clause if the employee has been employed by the employer for a period of at least six months beginning the day uh, the employment started.
0: So six months of employment is the first of those three elements. What's the second?
1: The second element goes to having Uh, worked a regular pattern of hours that the employee could, without too much trouble, continue to work uh, as a permanent employee.
0: Let's bring that term up on screen also.
1: It states that a casual employee may make a request uh, of an employer under the clause if the employee has, in the period of six months, ending the day their request is given, worked a regular pattern of hours on an ongoing basis, which, without significant adjustment, the employee could continue to work as a full-time employee or part-time employee, as the case may be.
0: So I can't help but notice the word and at the end of that paragraph, which promises something of a cliffhanger. That's two of the three elements. What's the third?
1: The third uh, requirement has a few elements and all of them are relevant to the request.
0: Let's get those up on screen as well.
1: All of the following must apply. The employee has not at any time during the period referred to in subclause 20.5, Subsection A uh, two, refuse an offer made to the employee under subclause 20.1. B, the employer has not at any time during the period given uh, the employee notice in accordance with subclause 20.2C1. Uh, the employer has not at any time during the period given the employee uh, under subclause 20.6 refusing a previous request made under this clause. And finally, the request is not made during the period of 21 days after the period referred to in subclause 20.1, subclause A1.
0: So let's break that down uh, just a little bit. A, B and D all concern the NES process that finished in September 2021. So that time has passed. Really, that means that we're left with the employer not refusing uh, an earlier request in the past six months. That's right. So... Those are the conditions for making a request, service or a minimum period of service, a regular pattern of work and a term to prevent multiple requests when it's within a six month period. How is such a request made by an employee?
1: It's got to be made in writing. Uh, If the person has been working full time hours, the request is uh, to be classified as full time. If the employee has been working less than full time hours, then it's to be part time.
0: So maybe the employee makes the request, then what?
1: Uh, That then takes us to subcourse six. The employer must give a written response to the request within 21 days, stating whether the employer grants or refuses the request.
0: So just again, that time period uh, for response by the employer to the request, that was 21 days?
1: It was 21 days.
0: And just to make that super clear, let's bring that up on screen. The next two sub clauses, sub clauses seven and eight, concern a refusal of a request from an employee to convert to full-time or part-time employment, as well as the granting of a request.
1: They do, so we'll start with a refusal. The first thing to note is that a refusal is not something that's simply discretionary. Sub clause seven uh, starts by setting out all, condi- all conditions for a refusal.
0: So let's um, see those conditions for refusal on the whole screen.
1: So, the employer must not refuse the request unless the employer has consulted the employee. There are reasonable grounds to refuse the request. And finally, that the reasonable grounds are based on facts that are known or reasonably foreseeable at the time of refusing the request.
0: What's interesting for me in that list of three is that first one, the employer has consulted the employee. It's really interesting and important to note that requirement to engage.
1: Also, that it's subject to a reasonableness test, Mm -hmm. with the reasonable grounds being things that are known or reasonably foreseeable at the time of refusing the
0: request. So that's a really interesting expression, Um, things that are known or reasonably foreseeable at the time of refusing the request. What does that expression do?
1: What it means uh, is that the fact that the employer's needs could change won't be enough for a reason, reason to refuse. It's got to be based on the facts that are known or reasonably foreseeable.
0: I think that's a really important distinction, so it's it's something that's more than possible. Uh, what are examples of reasonable grounds to refuse a request?
1: Subclause B sets out examples such as it would require significant adjustment to the employee's hours of work, the employee's position will cease within 12 months, and the granting of the request wouldn't comply with the required recruitment or selection process required by a law of the Commonwealth or state.
0: Really important to note that that list is, is not exhaustive, but people can find the list at 20.7b of the clause.
1: Also important to note uh, is that the written response refusing the request needs to include details of the reasons for the refusal.
0: Um, that's a really interesting and important point. That it's not just about saying no; it's actually about explaining the reason why. Uh, what about granting requests?
1: Uh, these are dealt with at subclause eight.
0: Uh, Again, um, what role does time play uh, in terms of granting a request? Is is time critical uh, as it was for a refusal?
1: It is. It's, again, within 21 days after the request, and the employer must give a written notice advising whether the employee is converting to full-time employment or part-time employment, the employee's pattern of hours or shifts after conversion takes effect, and the day the employee's conversion takes effect from.
0: Maddy, in the context of refusal, consultation is required. Um, What about in the context of granting a request?
1: Yes, you've got to discuss the contents uh, of the proposed notice before it's given. So, yes, consultation is still required.
0: Okay, so subclause 9 concerns the effect of conversion.
1: The effects are pretty obvious. The employee is a full-time or part-time employee from the date specified in the notice. An employee ceases to get casual loading and starts receiving the benefits of a permanent employee from that date.
0: Okay, maybe that brings us to the end of clause 20 of the Nurses and Midwives Agreement uh, casual conversion. Thanks for taking us through it.
1: Thanks, Stuart.
0: Bye.